Well, um, I can fairly well pray and close in prayer and go home now because Sister Liz is pretty well taken care of this morning's service. And, uh, but that's okay. Amen. Every year about this time, we have a service that we often refer to as our Vision Sunday. It is a time to remind us of who we are and why we are here and to try to set something of a tone as we move forward into a new year. And we have, on some occasions, used particular themes throughout the years as a focal point, and and that's something we may certainly continue to do. But in the last couple of years, and one of the things we've been talking about with our leadership group is about language and terminology, our vision has really become more about our mission than just our vision for a particular year, what our purpose is and why the church is still here. And right here in my notes, I'm supposed to ask who can tell me what our mission is, but (laughs) Sister Liz and Obadiah have already beat us to that this morning. So hopefully we all know that our mission is to go make disciples. Amen. And the vision statement that we've shared in the last couple of years, which we probably need to refresh a little more regularly, has four main points. The first one is to disciple people. That souls would be led into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ because that is what it's all about. And then we want to help people to become dedicated, to encourage people to take responsibility personally to invest in the kingdom of God, not to leave it for others. And we want to develop people to help to train and teach and help people to grow that they would be able to then also serve in the kingdom of God. And if we don't have a demonstration, then all we are is just a religion. We do not experience and see the power of God and have an apostolic culture in our midst, then something is missing. Amen? I hope we can agree with that this morning. Don't go quiet on me because Sister Liz has already preached my message. But this this mission, this vision statement is in line with our focus on the importance of God's Word. It is also in line with the vision of our national church because we are part of something that is bigger than just our local church. The National Church's vision includes the following three areas. The development of leaders for training people to serve. Growth goals, wanting people to be born again and added to the church and to continue to strengthen an apostolic culture. To affirm and reaffirm the truth of apostolic doctrine. To see the demonstration of the miraculous power of God. So our local mission and vision is combined together with with that which is a part of our National Church. And we believe that's important that we work together. And the the combination of our local and national church goals is also why we have a building fund. And I thank you for those that are giving to that. The focus is, and I've tried to emphasize this a lot, but the focus is not simply about having a bigger building, but the focus is on what is the purpose of that building. And that purpose is to teach people the Word of God, to establish people in the Word of God, and to invest people into the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus comes back, and I hope you believe he's coming back this morning, when Jesus comes back, the building's not going with us. It doesn't say anywhere in the Word of God that when it talks about the church leaving, it's not talking about the building, it's talking about the people. But it is our prayer, I hope it's your prayer, that those who we disciple, who we help to find Jesus, can come together in that building and find a way to serve Jesus so that those people can go to be with the Lord. Amen. We have, as a local church, continued to see the investment of people into the kingdom of God. 
not just here in Perth, but also with the McCallum family last year relocating to Broome to build an apostolic church there. Amen. And I hope you're praying for Brother Peter and Sister Cherry and Matthias up there. Amen. Over recent years, Brother Rowan Barrett has been working with the Disciple Makers group, wanting to challenge and inspire them, but also to influence our culture. This is not some elite little club that Brother Rowan has going, but it's about people that were interested in getting involved in that, but it's about our whole church. It's about the way we think, the way we act, the way we respond. And we have more people, as we announced this morning, more people signing up for Bible college, desiring to be better students of the Word of God. And we continue to identify and develop ministers, leaders, servants, whatever you want to call them, for the church today, for the church tomorrow, both locally and nationally, and even beyond that. Amen. These are just some of the ways that we are seeing the will of God come to pass in this church family. And so we're not changing anything this year, but we are continuing to focus on our mission, which is simply to go and make disciples. We have freshened up the graphic. I thank Sister Vanessa for her help with that. Amen. Making disciples. This is going to be an obvious statement, but it's an important statement. Making disciples does not happen without first being a disciple. We cannot lead somebody to someone that we are not following ourselves. I know that's obvious, but it's an important principle. In the words of Jesus himself, when he spoke in the Gospels about being a disciple, the the words that he actually spoke about that are found mainly in Matthew chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 14. And these passages contain three components of being a disciple that come from Jesus' point of view. From the words that he actually spoke about being a disciple. The first thing that we find in those scriptures is that the disciple is not above his master. That's what Jesus said. To acknowledge the authority of Jesus in our lives is a requirement if we are going to be his disciple. He's Lord. We're his children. He's master, we're his servants. Amen. Another thing that is listed in those passages that Jesus said was that our love for him, and this goes against a lot of human thinking, but our love for Jesus must be significantly greater than our love for our families and even for our own lives. Now that naturally produces a reaction in us. But Jesus actually used the words that if we were going to follow him, that we should hate our families. Now, before anybody goes, that's it, I'm out of this church, they're crazy. Jesus wasn't teaching us to hate our families. He was using a comparative statement because the rest of the Bible teaches us to love our families, to honor our parents, to husbands love their wives, wives, you know, that whole thing is supposed to be a loving household. But it is a comparative statement that our love for him And our commitment to him, when compared to our love for anybody and anything else, needs to be like that big of a gap. I hope you understand what I'm saying today. And the third thing that we find in Jesus' comments about being disciples is that only those willing to bear their cross can be his disciples. So what that means is whatever Jesus requires of us, we have to be willing to. To surrender that, we have to be willing to accept that. So the first question, with that little bit of of understanding, the first question is, am I a 
disciple. Point to yourself. Sister Liz has done the teacher thing, so I'm going to do the teacher thing. Point to yourself and say, am I a disciple? That's the first question we have to ask. Amen. Brother Rowan has used the example when he's taught about disciple-making of the comparison between a travel agent and a tour guide, of how one tells you about it and sends you on your way, and the other one goes with you on the journey. Amen. If we are disciples, this is a way of life. This is not a weekly check-in with Jesus. Anybody heard the expression, a Sunday Christian? Anybody ever heard that expression? I think most of us are familiar with it, but it's used to describe someone who attends church on a Sunday, but then there is no connection or impact with their life from Monday through Saturday. That's not a disciple. That's not a disciple. That's a Sunday Christian. I got to thinking about this a little further. You know, when you go through the Word of God, the Word of God is described as bread. Anybody hungry yet? Anybody want Sunday lunch? The Word of God is described as bread. It's described as being necessary for life. It's described as being more necessary than natural, physical bread. Jesus called himself the bread of life. At the Last Supper with his disciples, the Bible says that Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he described that bread and the breaking of it as being like his body that would be broken for his disciples then and us by extension from that day. And when the Lord taught his disciples how to pray, when they said, teach us to pray, and he gave them the model of the Lord's Prayer, he instructed them to ask God to give them their daily bread. Now, we, there's certainly nothing wrong with praying for our natural needs. I think that's important. God help us to take care of our finances, pay our bills, all that stuff is important. But I think it's beyond that to include the strength we need in our souls to continue to serve God and to do what God wants us to do. Amen. And so when we come together on a Sunday, whether it's a young preacher, older preacher, experienced preacher, inexperienced preacher, whoever it is, the preaching of God's Word feeds us spiritually. That's what the Bible says. It feeds us. But if it doesn't, flow out of here into the other days, then we eat once a week. That's a Sunday Christian. That's a Sunday Christian. Now, to draw a natural parallel, when you shop for your groceries, I know every household has different routines and habits, so I'm being very general here, so please don't come up to me after and say, well, we don't do that, we do this. That's not the point of the example. When you shop for your groceries, I imagine some of you at least have a day of the week that you shop. You write a list, possibly, head out to markets, grocery stores, wherever it is that you buy your stuff, and you buy what you need from that list, but you don't take it home and only eat food on that day. Who only eats on shopping day? Unless you have teenagers, they might eat all the food on shopping day, and you have to go back again. But when we go to the grocery shop and we get all that food, We purchase it on that day, but then it becomes a part of what we eat daily throughout the week. Amen. Whereas a Sunday Christian only eats once a week. A disciple takes what was given to them in the house of God, adds 
into what they already have at home and their practice and their preparations, and they eat daily. Do you understand the difference there? Amen. But for us and for our mission, the next step, when a disciple maker, sorry, when a disciple becomes a disciple maker, it's when you find someone else to share your bread with. It's the next step. Amen. When you not only feed yourself, but when you invite someone else to eat with you, possibly even to come into your home, whether that's literally into your house or figuratively with sharing the Word of God. You see, from a biblical perspective, if we are making disciples, at some point that includes eating bread together. At some point that includes connecting someone to the Word of God. Now, it may be via your own testimony. It may be a Bible study. It may be bringing them to the house of God with you. But somewhere on that journey, they need bread. Amen? I hope you understand what I'm saying this morning. So again, the questions for our own reflection are, do I only eat once a week? And if I don't, if I try to eat regularly, talking about spiritually, do I only feed myself? Or do I also feed others? Amen. Go make disciples. Amen. You don't need a lot of understanding of the Word of God to know that we need to be saved. Who knows we need to be saved this morning? Amen. Bless the Lord. But we also know that with that understanding includes the understanding that others need to be saved as well. In Matthew 20 and 28, Jesus said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He didn't come just to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, we need to be ministered to. I need to be ministered to. I need, I need to hear the Word of God to feed my soul. You need to hear the Word of God to feed your soul. We do need to be ministered to, but it cannot stop there. It cannot stop there. We must also be ministering to others. When I feed myself, I need to be looking to feed someone else. When God blesses me, I need to do something with that blessing and take His Word and use it to minister to another person. Amen. We know that. Amen. That's not a revelation today. But knowledge alone is not a sufficient motivation. There's a lot of things we know. Knowledge by itself doesn't motivate us to action. Amen. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, speaking of Jesus, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Scripture says that when the Lord saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. This expression speaks of a deep-seated emotional response. It wasn't a passing flicker. It wasn't just walking by and going, oh, that's unfortunate, and carry on. But he spent enough time to consider their situation 
that it moved him. It moved him with compassion. It affected the Lord. It affected the Lord. Now some of the feedback that I have heard from amongst our disciple makers groups, because Brother Ron and I catch up fairly regularly about that, is of people becoming very aware of their responsibility, to becoming very conscious of the fact that we have a responsibility to make disciples. And I think that's awesome. I think we need to have a consciousness of that. I think we need to have a very strong awareness of that. But it must get beyond awareness to the point that it moves us with compassion. Because compassion will help us get past our fears and our shyness and our worries and our self-consciousness. Compassion will help us to get past our feelings of inadequacy, of not being able or or competent. Compassion will get us past our feelings of rejection. Nobody likes to be rejected. And there's a reason that Jesus experienced it so that he can understand how we feel. He was rejected by a whole lot more people than have ever rejected you. And yet he was still... That multitude that he was moved with compassion about, many of them were in the crowd that cried out, crucify him. And yet he was moved with compassion. Awareness and knowledge is a fantastic place to start. But we've got to be moved at a deep level. Amen. And the solution that Jesus suggested to the needs of this multitude that he had compassion on was that we should pray for laborers. Why does everything come back to work? Why does everything come back to work? But the reality is somebody has to carry the bread. Somebody's got to carry the bread. And we will say, but but pastor, but even Lord Jesus, I mean, we're praying, there are so many people. And I have so little to offer. Kind of reminds me of a story about another hungry multitude you might know. Of only being able to come up with five loaves and two fish. So many people. So little bread. But your little placed in his hands. That's the difference. That's the difference. And compassion will help us to get over those feelings I don't have much to offer. I can't say things. When I try to explain things, I confuse myself and other people. Compassion will help you to get over that. Compassion will cause you to say, I want to share the bread that I have with somebody else. I don't want to just be fattening my own soul. But I want to share the bread that I have with something else. When I've got something that is so insignificant and I put it in his hands, he can break it. He can multiply it so much so that it has leftovers. That means that it will go beyond what you thought was possible and even beyond the needs of the people that are in that immediate circumstance to go beyond that to reach to others. Wherever those leftovers went, somebody else was fed. It's going to take some effort. That's kind of what labor means. There's not too many ways you can look at that scripture about praying for laborers. You can look at the Greek in any other language you like. It means work. Labor means labor. It means work. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take, you see, compassion will get beyond worrying about effort and labor. You know, so often, and I'm not going to minister for very long, 
I've still got a few pages to go, but be careful I don't make false promises. So often when we use the word disciple, the original 12 come to mind. Amen? That collection of men that walked with Jesus, they heard him teach, they watched him heal, they observed his compassion. But then he sent them out to do the same things that he did before they even had the Holy Ghost. So if you're, you're seeking the Holy Ghost, continue to do that. God's going to give you his promise. You can still make a disciple. Amen. Perhaps, and you know, maybe, maybe this is unique to me, but when, when I've thought in the past about how Jesus called his disciples, I've always had a mental picture of Jesus walking along the shore of Galilee, comes along two brothers named Peter and Andrew, and he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave what they're doing with their father's fishing company, business, trade, and they follow him. They go a little bit further and he comes across James and John, sons of thunder they were called. Says the same thing and they do the same thing. They drop their nets and they go and they follow the Lord and and we, you know, but that's exactly what happened in Matthew chapter 4. But one of the great things about the Word of God, particularly when we talk about the four Gospels, is when you put all the stories together, from as many, you know, if it appears in two or three or all four, put those stories together, there are pieces that sometimes we don't often see, or at least that's how it works for me. Because Jesus did call his disciples. The Bible says he did ordain 12 men. He did choose them. He did call them. He, he did all of that. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John the Baptist. And then in verse 35 it says, And the next day, after John stood, and two of his disciples, so these are people that are following John the Baptist, they're not Jesus' disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, John the Baptist saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned around, and he saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? He said, What are you looking for? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which being interpreted as master, or also no teacher, where dwellest thou? I think they wanted to spend a little time. And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and they abode with him that day. They spent the day with the Lord, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which we know was Peter, which is by interpretation a stone. So Andrew is a disciple of John the Baptist. Nowadays we'd call him an early adopter. He got, he got in the kingdom early. He's a disciple of John the Baptist. And John baptizes Jesus and points to Jesus and identifies him as the Lamb of God. And as John begins to interact with Jesus, but sorry, Andrew begins to interact with Jesus, not John, but he also goes and finds Simon who we would come to know as Simon Peter or as Peter. And then they are called to be his disciples in Matthew chapter 4 on the Sea of Galilee. You read on in John chapter 1, you see this happen again in verse 43. 
the day following. So it tells us the next day. Jesus would go forth into Galilee. He finds Philip and says unto him, follow me, Phil. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, again, master, teacher, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, you believe? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So again, we see a situation where there's somebody who has direct interaction with Jesus. Jesus calls Philip, who happens to live in the same part of the neighborhood as Andrew and Peter. What does Philip do? Philip finds Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is very skeptical. He says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You ever had that kind of response when you tell somebody what the Lord's done for you? Really? Jesus? You believe in Jesus? We would learn a lesson from Philip and say, come and see. <laughs> come and see. And so Nathaniel, even though he's skeptical, he meets Jesus and recognizes him through their interaction as the Son of God. And Jesus says, man, you're easily impressed. You believe because I could, I could tell you where you were seated before? He said, you're going to see a whole lot more than that. Amen. You said, we, we do not have records of how all 12 disciples or apostles came to know Jesus. But as Andrew found Peter and Philip found Nathaniel, the question for us is, who will you find? Because we sometimes think Jesus just one-on-one with all of them. He called them all, but no. Andrew went and found Peter. Philip went and found Nathaniel and said, come see the one that was promised. Who will we find this morning? Who will we bring to meet Jesus? Who will we carry bread to today? Stand with me if you would today. We're going to pray as a church. We have knowledge. Knowledge is great. Knowledge is a great place to start. But we need our knowledge to move us with compassion. We need to remember where he brought us from. We need to remember how when we first heard about Jesus, we might have been like Nathaniel and thought, really? Church? Why would I want to go to church? Why, why, would, why would I want to be interested in Jesus or Christianity? Or, yeah, that's good for you, but not for me. We, we've, many of us had similar reactions. And we've put that sign, I'm thankful for those that made it above the door, to remind us as we exit, look up, read that. Remind yourself, as you go out, that's what we go to do. You go to work, yes, but why do you go to work? Make disciples. No, I go to work to pay the bills. Yeah, I understand that. But while you're working to pay the bills, you can make disciples. You can reach out to somebody else. I want us to pray together. And again, I want us to lift our voices, not just to listen to me pray, that God would move us.
that he would move us beyond simply knowledge and understanding, but that like Philip, we'd want to tell Nathaniel. Like Andrew, we'd want to go and find our brother and say, hey, there's somebody I want you to meet. There's somebody I want to introduce you to. I've got some bread I'd like to share with you. I've got something that can feed your soul. Will you sit down and break bread with me? Let's lift our voices this morning. Lord, we are so thankful to be gathered together in your house. We are so thankful, Lord, that you have saved our souls, that, Lord, every one of us here has...